Hello, you're listening to the Mr. Money Jar podcast. Mr. Money Jar here. This episode is taken from an Instagram live and has been uploaded in its entirety. This means that some of what you hear may seem odd in an audio format. For example, there might be references to questions that appeared during the live, plus some audience interaction, and very rarely some swearing or audio mishaps. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hello all, welcome to episode 44 of the Mr. Money Jar Show. Uh, We have a special episode um, in store for you today on on two counts. Firstly, it's going to be our first Insta room, so there'll be two guests uh, joining today. And uh, secondly, it's a midweek episode, so this is the first episode that we've done um, that's not on a Monday. So that's pretty exciting. Glad to see people joining. Um, and yeah, so let's let's kick off the conversation. So a lot of you um, showed interest in the post they did with the Raindrop last week, which had their awesome pension finder in. So today we're gonna speak to the co-founders of Raindrop, find out about why they started the company, ask some questions about pensions in general, and also just understand how they created this amazing tool. So Let's invite them in. Hopefully this works. One request, two requests. Fingers firmly crossed that this works first time. We got one, we got two. Yes! Hey. (laughs) Sorry, this is my first IG live, so I'm just trying to figure the camera. (laughs) This is my first rooms. Okay, this is cool. So the comments are still on the bottom. Um, Mortgage Mind, great to see you. Hey, Laura. Hey, Black Print Pod. Yes, so here we we have the masterminds at uh, Raindrop. Um, Guys, could you please introduce yourselves to the people at home um, and tell us a bit about what you do at Raindrop? Uh, Vivan, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, sure, yeah. So my name is Vivan. I grew up in India, then moved to London six years ago. Uh, one of the one of the four co-founders of Raindrop. By, by title, I'm Chief Commercial Officer, and I handle all customer-related activities and the growth of the business. And I'm joined by my co-founder, Phil, and I'll pass it over to Phil right now. Awesome. Hey, yeah, my name, my name is Phil. Um, so my background was um, that I used to work uh, at, in the cliche banking world for a, for a few years. Um, about a couple of years ago to start my first business, which is the first time I became self-employed uh, and felt this like pension problem that we are we were trying to solve uh, today. And then, uh, yeah, uh, joined when we found Raindrop about a year and a bit ago. Uh, I run the product side of things, which means the uh, pension finder that we're going to talk to today, um, you know, I sort of design what that initially looked like and trying to make it as, as good and easy to use as possible for everyone uh, that uh, that's trying to find their old pensions. Awesome. And you guys specialize in self-employed pensions, don't you? Um, yeah. Uh, well, we, the, the genesis of the idea came to help those who don't get auto-enrolled into pension schemes. So as you know, if you're employed, you get auto-enrolled into a pension scheme. But unfortunately, yeah. self-employed people don't have that benefit. And when we were doing research, and quite a few of our friends are freelancers as well, um, they just didn't know where to start. And obviously, we coming from our finance background, they'll come and ask us about personal finance. And to be honest, we didn't know that much either about how, how, to, set, how to set up oneself. And that's when there's a, there's a huge lack of education when it comes to personal finance. So uh, people like yourself are 
it's good that you'll bring in transparency to what is considered a, an opaque industry and there's quite a few question marks out there so so yeah, yeah. Uh, and when it comes to pensions it's just an industry which is it's not as opaque as transparent as it should be and people are just disillusioned and not and very confused and there are very strong tax benefits to investing in a pension and it's of about course. starting as early as possible so um, so yeah that's where we came together to solve this problem yeah so just to unpack some of the things you've said there there is this pensions paradox isn't there where although the age of access is um in your mid 50s at the moment of course that age is going up to 57 in a few years time um actually you want to start investing in a pension as early as you possibly can to let compounding um take an effect and then the other paradox is the fact that yes when you start working for a company they auto enroll you in but this means that effectively there's this account that's been set up in the background comes out automatically off your paycheck and therefore you're disengaged in it and don't necessarily know how much you're paying in or or how often so i think it's great that you guys have set out to address that problem starting with my first question though um and i'll go to you Vivan um what is a pension in a nutshell and what are the different types um yeah i think we touched on it before but uh, in a sense a pension is a, a long is a very tax efficient way to save for retirement and there are two predominant like i don't want to go into details of the types of pensions but the two but main types of pensions one's a workplace pension scheme so that's where you get as we spoke about you're you you're you're employed you you get on through enrolled into a pension scheme and your employer tends to match the contribution in some instances sometimes they do a bit more or a bit less depending on the policy that they have internally sure and and then you have your private or your personal pensions where by when you make contributions you can claim either the government adds more to your your pot or you can if you're working through a limited company for self employed you can claim that as a business expense and reduce your tax bill so that that but that personal pension stays with you through your life so if you change jobs that personal pension is yours and you have access to it all the time it doesn't require you to to go through your employer to access that pot yeah and we've just had a question in the comments about um sips as well which are if if you want to touch upon those yeah so sips are self invested personal pensions uh that's that's a private pension so once you open a sip there's raindrop offers a sip there are multiple providers out there as well uh, you can open one and you can when you contribute into a sip it's your personal pension so private pension which stays with you for life and you can you the government for every contribution they gross it up depending on your tax your tax rate and uh you can in case you're a higher tax payer when you self assess you can you can effectively claim more by uh back more tax relief back uh during your self assessment as well sorry yeah, yeah. a few technical terms then trying to be as jargon free as possible yeah yeah just to break down what um Fafan said yeah so if you're if you're a basic rate tax payer and let's say you get paid 10 pounds gross that lands in your paycheck as 8 pounds net but if you pay that into a pension the government will add the 2 pounds back in and then if you uh, are higher or additional rate tax payer at the 40% or 45% bands and if you fill out a tax return then you can also claim that money back as well and that tax that you get back really does add up over the time that you uh, invest in your pension thank you Vivan um and Phil coming on to you how much can you save into a pension and when from Yeah, it's a great question. 
so in terms of, of when from, I mean, you can, the automatic enrollment rules for a workplace and, and whatnot usually allow you to start from basically the ages of 16, but it's more standard at sort of 18. Um, and, and yeah, you, you can start from that point onwards. Um, and in terms of how much you can put in, uh, so you can put in as much as you like, but the key thing, as we mentioned, is the tax efficiency. So it's at what point do you stop losing the tax benefits effectively? And that's typically on £40,000 or 100% of your earnings a year or whichever is lower effectively. Um, so, yeah, as long as you're putting in, if you're, if you're paying into a personal pension, uh, you might put in 32000 because, as we mentioned, you get that other 25% back. That's the other 8000 that would get you to your 40000 the other yeah. key number to be aware of is the lifetime allowance, which means that over your full life, as long as you put in less than just over a million pounds, what it is today, uh, you'll still yeah. get the tax benefits as well. So you want to try and keep it within those constraints typically. Yeah, yeah. These are the, the tax-free limits. And I think it's also worth mentioning that, um, you know, most people know about the ISA limit, 20, 20K a year. The pension limit is, is 40K a year. Um, so you need to stay within that 40k a year tax-free limit as well as the uh, just over a million pounds uh, limit that Phil's just mentioned. Um, and then Vivan, I remember when I first started working, um, my first proper job, got a job in the city, got given a stack of paperwork, my contract, the uh, staff handbook, um, the I'd like a workplace insurance scheme and then within this stack of paper was like my pensions paperwork. I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't understand what it was. I just kind of ticked the 3% box or whatever. Um, and it was only when my workplace provider then decided to move providers and I had to do a manual transfer of the money. But I was like, oh, I kind of need to understand how this works and like what I've been paying to all this time. One of the biggest question marks for me in my early 20s was how much I should be paying into one. So what are the general rules of thumb around how much you should contribute as a percentage of your salary? Yeah, Tim, it's interesting you said that because I was in the same boat as well. I think Phil was as well. Um, and I think it's only when we started this journey for ourselves did we realize that, at least personally, I realized I should have been contributing much more, especially when yeah. the, my employer was willing to match up to a certain amount. And yes. that was effectively free money that I was leaving on the table. Um, so in that sense, obviously, this is not this is not financial advice. And if you every you know, circumstances is quite personal. So if you want to speak, you should speak to an IFA if you want advice. But I think the general thumb rule is about 15% of your annual earnings should go into saving for retirement. Because, you know, when you're yeah. 60, you're not going to be working those many hours. And you really want to, you've worked your whole life, you want to tend to enjoy. So it's about when you're 60, is there a significant pot there that you can draw down on? as income that you don't have to go and source other forms of income to fund your lifestyle. So about 15% is what we see as good guidance to put away for retirement. That should be a combination of yourself, the government tax relief and your employer contribution. So that's, but I think the key takeaway is it doesn't matter how old or young you are. As you said, you need to start early, even if it's a small amount and it's about the small amounts because the best thing you can do right now is that you have on your side is time and compounding. Yeah. That beats, that beats most of any kind of lucrative investment that you look at or some significant returns. The best thing that you have is time and compounding and you should take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. And the, the specific numbers elude me, but, you know, there's those illustrations online about, you know, the kid who invests from when they're a child to when they're like in their teens or something and does nothing for the rest of their life. And then the person who starts at 30 invests for the rest of their life and the kid ends up being richer simply yeah. because you had that 
you know, 20 year head start or whatever. So yeah, very important. And yeah. I also like how you mentioned that the um, percentage doesn't all have to come from you. So that 15% needs, can be a combination of your contributions, your workplace match and the government tax relief. And actually 15%, I would say is uh, pretty belts and braces because of the studies I've read um, have hovered around the 12% mark. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then Phil, when you then invest into a pension, what is your money being invested in? And how is that almost calibrated over the course of your working life? And, and as you approach different life stages? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. <clears throat> I think as we mentioned here, the important part here is, is the compounding uh, of your money as it grows over time. And, and that will only really happen if your money is invested in something. Um, now, when you take out a SIP, as we mentioned, a self-invested pension plan, you effectively make the choice. That's why it's self-invested. You are choosing what your pension money is going to be invested in. And that can be stocks or, you know, shares of companies or bonds, et cetera. Um, or, you know, something like a, a fund, a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, an ETF. Um, and the reason why those can sometimes be a little bit better is they're a little bit more diversified. So by buying one fund, you buy a hundred different companies effectively. So if one of them goes bankrupt, you know, you don't lose all your money, et cetera. And the fees are generally cheaper, et cetera. Um, what's, what's an interesting thing um, to note here is that, and again, everyone's circumstances are different. But often when you're younger, it usually makes sense to take a little bit more risk. And that's because you have a little bit more time before you retire. Uh, and therefore, you can afford to, you know, to go through the ups and downs that might happen through the financial markets. But as you get older, you should typically be, you, you know, it's normally quite a good idea to take less risk as you're going to start needing to take some of that money out, you know, to pay for your retirement. And you can't afford to, you know, to lose 50% of your money overnight. So, I mean, there are loads of different options out there, but just to give you an example of what we offer in Raindrop, we offer something called a target retirement date fund. And the okay. way that works is that you put your money into a fund that's managed by BlackRock, a very large wealth asset manager, and you choose that fund based on how old you are and when you want to retire. Therefore, if you're 40 years away, the, the guys at BlackRock will invest it slightly more risky, but they will slowly make it less risky as you approach retirement, kind of in a very good sensible uh, strategy for anyone that has a pension. And that's great because it means you don't have to worry about thinking about those dynamics yourself. You can leave it to the experts effectively. Okay, cool. And um, they'll do that, as I understand it, by over time allocating the money that maybe started off in stocks and was moving about a bit more into, say, bonds and cash equivalents so that it, the pension value remains a bit more stable. That's exactly how it works, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and so we've talked about like, when you can start, um, how much you should try to put in, um, what happens as you go over the course of your, your working life. When can you then finally access the money? Because I've found that there's perhaps a bit of confusion over when you can um access your workplace pension and and the state pension i find that the pension age i find that they're often confused yeah um so the workplace pension and like private pensions you can access them when you're 55 and you can yeah. withdraw from your so you speak to your provider uh, it's usually good at that point if you have a sizable pension pot to speak to a financial advisor so that they can plan how you know you want to fund your 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 retirement whether uh, it's for you your family your kids at the time 
so it's it's good. i think it's good to speak to a, a, an ifa and quite a few ifas are happy to do free consultations as well um so it's good to reach out to them and there's an allowance as well from the government to use to speak to ifas um but yeah there's there's two primary ways you can withdraw it at the time when you're 55 uh, either you can take it all of as a lump sum or you can what is you can buy as an annuity which allows you to give an annual income of sorts and you get taxed at uh, a particular other your pay, your tax rate at the time when you retired uh, so there's two primary ways you can withdraw your pension pot money uh, and um, yeah so that's the, and when it comes to the state pension i think i feel correct me if i'm wrong but the current uh, the current state pension i think you can access it when you're 68 um, and that is about a, over just over 9000 pounds a year but i think that's potentially increasing or they've said it's going to increase to 68 So yeah just to uh just to add some more information on that the the age at which you can take your state pension out is actually based off of when you were born um so for for younger people it's slightly older and i think for most people on this it's it's roughly at 68 but if you if you're born you know in the in the next or 5 years etc it's likely that the state pension age will be older for you and you can go and check that up on on the government website they have a nice little tool uh, for you effectively to put what date you were born in and what rules apply to you but i think 68 is a good uh, is a good starting point and benchmark for most people here uh, on this call and then as vivan mentioned the amount is around 9000 pounds just over a year but what's important is that it goes up at, anybody government legislation can always be subject to change but the current rules are that it increases roughly by about 2.5% or inflation we won't go into all those details you can imagine yeah. roughly 2% at the moment year on year um, and that's just to account for the fact that you know the, the cost of living unfortunately just gets yeah. more expensive every year anyway yeah and staying with you phil um can, you know how many different um pensions can you have and um what happens if you lose one or if you you know forget about one yeah great question um so the the thing is and it's based off of what the government did in 2012 basically where they tried to make um they tried to encourage people to save more and this was the problem why now there are so many workplace pensions out there but because of that you can you can have effectively an unlimited amount of pensions but you probably just don't want to right because you don't want to yeah. think about all the operational hassle of Oh, I've got one here when I worked at Barclays and I've got one over here when I worked at Pizza Express or you know wherever it might be. Um so you can have you know as many as you like but it often makes sense to sort of consolidate and and, and bring them all together especially those sort of workplace pensions. Um yeah and as I mentioned that's driven mostly because the government was with the right intention trying to get people more to save for enti- uh, retirement they forced employers to set up pensions for their employees. but they they did it in a way where you couldn't move that pension pot around so now you have a different individual one likely wherever you where you go um and then you sort of mentioned about having a lost pension well yeah if you don't yeah if if you've lost your pension the the primary thing you can go and do is maybe phone up your employer try to work out who their pension provider was or you know if you know who that pension provider is you can reach out to them etc but there's a lot of operational hassle there some companies might not exist anymore their pension provider might have changed yeah. Yeah, you look yeah. at yeah, for the one of the ones that we saw uh because obviously we're doing this for our customers on a day-to-day basis we see like Tesco's used to have a, a pension with one provider but then moved in 2014 and therefore you know you don't know if you were if you worked at Tesco's before 2014 it could be in one place and after 2014 it could be in a completely different other place i know when i worked at Barclays and i was trying to find my old pension later on i couldn't log in to my old pension provider's like platform and it wanted my Barclays email address but i didn't work there anymore so i couldn't even log on to go and access my pension stuff anymore 
So you'd be surprised at all these like little operational things that, that go wrong. And I guess the reason why pensions get lost so easily is because it's not like a banking account where when you choose, when you change, you know, your bank from HSBC to Barclay, you know, you're using it every day. So you go and update your address, et cetera. But your pension is something you don't normally see every day. Then it's been five years since you've left that employer. And you're like, oh, yeah, like, what were the details again? And then the thing is, you'll go and reach out to them and they'll need to verify it's your money. Right. And they'll use, use your address. But you won't have updated your address, even though you've moved house. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's fundamentally why it ends up being very very difficult to track these old pensions. It's poor data quality, along with trying to verify who the end user is. And that's good. You, I mean, you need to have comfort in making sure that they're not going to give your money out to anyone. But these are the problems which make it hard to find and track old lost pensions. And staying with you, Phil, because you mentioned um, a lot of the conversation has been around people who are employed. What can self-employed people do to make sure that they stay on top of all of this because they don't have the advantage of someone enrolling them into a scheme on their behalf. 100%. Yeah, I think it's as a self-employed person that the key is A, as we mentioned a little bit before, just getting started, but B, building up good habits. And what I like to relate it to is, I think this is pretty standard for most self-employed people is that they know they have to pay their tax bill at the end of the year because they, they get assessment and they put 20% aside of, of all the income that they typically make. And they put that into a typical side part or a different bank account, et cetera. And they know that's there to pay their tax bill. And I think you can use that same mechanic with good habits for your pension contributions. So you can be putting them into your pension straight away. But the problem with being self-employed is you don't know when your next paycheck's coming in. So you might not want to commit to it straight away. So let's put it into a side savings account. If we said before that 15% number, Take 20% of your income, put it for your tax bill. Take 15%, put it for your pension. If things go sour, then yeah, use that 15% that you haven't quite put into your pension yet because at the end of the day, you only really need to put it in just before the end of the tax year to still claim that tax benefit. Um, sure. And then you can use it there You know, if you have a bad day, a rainy day, so so to speak, and the name Ranger, where the company came from. Um, and then at the end of the year, if you didn't need it, you can put it into your pension. At that point, it is locked away, but at that point, you get the tax benefits. That's how I would think about it. I actually really like that. And I'd never considered it in that way before, linking it to habits that people already have around paying tax and just adding it to the to-do list. Exactly. Um, that's really cool. And that brings us on to the tool you guys created, which I'm a huge fan of. And um, just, just to sort of recap, so um, last week um, in collaboration with Raindrop, I posted about their pension finder, finder tool. And... Um, it's a way essentially for you to locate your um, missing or lost pensions without any hassle. It's now one of my most saved posts on my grid. So uh, thank you very much for partner, partnering with me on that, you guys. Um, I just want to get a sense of like, yeah, how you guys built it, like how it works. Like it's, it's like magic. You know, I gave you my details two weeks later, you sent them back to me with the precise amount that my pension was. And there was a test because I, I hadn't actually lost it, but it was amazing to me. So Ivan, like where, where did that come from? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think we started getting a lot of inquiries from our cost, early customers, early adopters of like, oh, you know, I'm so glad like you guys exist, but I'm self-employed for the last four years, but I used to be employed many years ago. Uh, can you locate my pension for us? And we're like, yeah, we know that you can, there's, there are ways to do it, but it's just from the demand and from our own personal experiences, we all quit our jobs to start Raindrop or Phil's instance had already, was already on the path of entrepreneurship. And 
as I said, we had to log in through our old work email addresses to get our access to what is effectively our money, which was deducted and saving for our retirement. We thought that the, there's too much of a hassle. And for us, if we have come from the industry and for us, we don't know how to navigate it. Can you imagine someone who's not from the industry, who doesn't know who to speak to and just feels lost in general when it comes to finance? So sure. that, that's sure. where the inspiration was like, this is definitely a problem we have to solve and we have to deliver for our customer base. And um, Phil is the genius behind the, the pension finder. I don't want to take anything away from him. So I wanted to uh, thanks a lot for building that and for taking everyone's feedback, which is really good. But maybe Phil could allude to the process so, so people on the call can understand how really easy it is and why. Uh, and, and it's completely free. We don't expect anyone to commit to transferring anything like that. We just want to help people. Yeah, I think, yeah. So if I, if I just uh, sort of talk about the inception of how it sort of happened, I guess the kind of industry standard, the way it is with other pension providers or people that offer this kind of service, is that you kind of need to know who the pension provider was. And that might be a legal general or a beaver, et cetera. And through our customers, we realized, I think the number stands about 45% have absolutely no idea who the pension provider was. Now, there are, there are government services, et cetera. There's something called the pension tracing service that you can go and use online. But I'm sure if anyone's actually tried to use that, they'll see how bad, A, the data quality is and how unfriendly it is in trying to understand the results there. Because you might search Tesco. Tesco will have a ton of different legal entities or different sub-companies. And even then, when you click into it, you know, it'll be like, as we mentioned before, it's gone through three different, four different providers. Um, yeah. So we realized that that was not, not good enough. Um, and we realized that people didn't know their pension provider. So we were like, how can we bridge that gap? And that's why the tool that we built allows you to be to start off with as simply as just who your employer was. But we do need the employment dates. And that's just because, as we mentioned, the pension provider can change a lot with those individual uh, employers. Um, but that is a great starting point for us. And then what we'll do is, is, again, completely digitally, the one thing we need is something called a letter of authority. And that's basically like you just saying, I give Raindrop the right to go and find this information for me, especially in a world that is now obviously so very data conscious and we want to be very transparent about how we use your data. We need to get that, that permission from you. So once cool. we have that completely digitally all done, we will effectively reach out to those pension providers. We will use other tools and techniques that we built um, to go and work out who the pension provider was for that employer, and we'll reach out to them personally. Um, and once we've collected that data, there will be a little bit to and froing in the background. At some point, you, uh, we might need to, uh, you know, ask you for further details. But at, the, at that point, you can be safe in knowing that we're doing the whole, you know, the operation lifting for you. And as we're sort of building out, I guess, effectively a database of all of these key providers and all of these employers, we're getting much more efficient and better at basically allocating and finding all of that automatically. Um, so, yeah, that's how the key kind of and, and product kind of works. All right. That's really smart. So not only have you built this bespoke system, but it actually gets smarter the more you use it, the more you can sort of get that networking effect, network effect going. Correct, exactly. There will be, uh, not to give away all the secret sources behind uh, how all of it works and stuff, but there are, as you can probably imagine, there are some really, uh, there are trends in there. If you, if you typically work within like the construction industry, there are very high odds that you have a specific pension provider. And if, you're, if the company you work for is of a specific size, it's very likely that you might be with the National Employment Savings Trust because they're typically the first place for like new companies who don't really know how to set up a pension, they'll go to that kind of entity. But once you've started to build up these logic and trends and patterns, then it becomes much, much easier to at least, I guess, go through the, the, the chaff to get to the real answer. The other key thing is there's a lot of um, the, the time of when you had your pension is very important. As we mentioned before, the automatic enrollment thing came in 2012. So just to be very transparent, like if it's before 2012, 
there's a much smaller likelihood of you having a pension because or at that employer because they weren't forced to do it unless you work for a big company who might have had their own private one. Um, so yeah, sure. once you've all these understanding and learnings as we do in our tool, then you know we can build this great process. Hopefully. That's cool. And we've had a question from the comments, which I'll um, I'll try to answer. You guys can share your thoughts as well if you'd like to. It's from Finance Reboot, and it's, I'm employed and pay 8% towards my pension, and my employer also pays 8%. So we're looking at a, a contribution of 16%. I can increase my contribution percentage at any time. I'm 42, any recommendations by how much I should increase my percentage? Now, what immediately comes to mind to me there, again, not giving out specific financial advice, what I've read is that um, if you're, you know, the general rule of thumb uh, contribution amount is between 12 and 15%, as we spoke about earlier on in this conversation. However, if you're starting from a standing start, you take the age that you are and then you halve it, then that is the amount that you pay into um, your pension until you retire. And I can't really explain it that well, but I did sit down with a spreadsheet once and did some sums and, and also sat down with a pension calculator as well. And it just somehow works out that if you do that take your age and half it formula and save up a pension pot, when you then convert that into income at the age of um, retirement, it equals the amount of money that you would need to live off or would expect to live off. So that's how I would tackle that question. Any thoughts, you guys? Yeah, I think that's a great starting point, uh, 100%, as you mentioned, without giving financial uh, advice on that. I'd also just say, um, you know, that there, there, are res like, that there are ways of solving the problem if you get to retirement or as you're approaching there um, and you're thinking you're not having quite as much as you'd like you know there are ways you can you can optimize optimize for it you know an extra you'd be surprised how much working for an extra year might give you an extra two or three years at retirement um mm. and the reason the percentage rule kind of works is because obviously you might think to yourself well you know if i'm a higher earner then obviously a percentage like it, it, it is, a, is a bigger amount if i'm a lower earner it's a smaller amount therefore not enough but typically how much you need to survive on is based on kind of how much you've been earning because you have a similar living standard, if that makes sense. That's why it's better to have a percentage rule than a fixed like number rule. Um, I think it's just important to, to realize that. Um, but I, I think everything you said there is, is very sensible. You might need to look at how much you already have in your pension because if you've already built up substantial wealth, then you're already, as you said, you're not starting from a, a, a standing uh, standing point at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Financial Reboot says, thanks so much. Sorry I was late to join. I was still working. No worries. <laughs> This will be saved to grid and it will also be made available as a podcast for people who don't like my face. <laughs> um, so that um, brings us to the end of the pensions chat in terms of the questions. Um, were there any final points you guys wanted to make about pensions before I head on to the rapid fire questions? Um, no, they're not as it's effective. They're not as daunting as they, they seem to be, and there are not like us, there are multiple startups and other companies and individuals like yourself and IFA's uh, accountants who help. So seek help when you can. Uh, there's got a bit of information online. It's not as daunting, but it's important to start. That's all I'd say. Yeah, I think they agree with Ivan on that. Yeah, it, it, it can seem daunting, but you know, as you said before, just starting off even, and that's again why we build the flexibility. If, if you want to get a feel for it and get comfortable, just putting in five pounds a month, which is not obviously not hopefully a huge amount of money, you know, to, to lose or, or whatnot, you know, can get you more comfortable with the process. And then you'll see your tax coming back and then you'll start to understand the mechanics and how it works. And hopefully that will build your confidence up in something like a pension. 
Oh, we've had another question, um, a slightly technical one. Can you consolidate pensions from multiple tax jurisdictions? Um, again, I'll, I'll try to um, just speak to this um, and then I'll let, let you guys uh, um, add if you want to. So um, the government has a register called um, CROPS, Q-R-O-P-S. It's a qualifying register of pension schemes, I think. Yeah. Um, you can go on the gov.uk website and it's, a, it's essentially other tax jurisdictions that the UK has arrangements with so that you can save into different jurisdictions, manage your money and transfer between different jurisdictions as well. You need to be on the lookout for two things when you transfer your pension from one tax jurisdiction to another, and that's um, fees from the pension provider or a tax charge. And if you go on this register, you can see which countries we have agreements with. Like, for example, I think we have agreements with Australia. We don't have to pay tax twice, but we may not have that with, I don't know, a South American country, for example. Um, so that, that, that would be my kind of simplified answer to that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think you, you gave the, the, the important information there, which is to look out for these, uh, these cure-up schemes. It is, a, it is a complicated thing because the law or legislation on pensions in every country is very different. The reason why we have agreements with the likes of Australia is just because they are much similar to what the, the rules look like here in the UK. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's a very complicated problem that I think a lot of, a lot of people at the moment uh, are, are looking to see how to tackle better. Yeah. And, yeah. Cool. Um, so head on to the rapid fire questions now. This is the first time I'm doing it with two people. So let's try and do it sort of bullet style. Um, and uh, yeah, let's take it away. So, and uh, I'll start with uh, Vivan first and I'll, I'll come to a few I'm nervous. Um, so, What's been your biggest <laughs> financial achievement? Um, ooh, it's a tough one. Um, I think quitting and starting my company for myself is to, it's, it's not given a financial goal, but I'm hoping it will eventually, but it's given me the mental freedom to take stock of my, my life, my personal life and my financial life. I think I wasn't aware of where my finances were until I had taken the plunge. So from um, going to sleep well at night, I think that's... <laughs> That's that's definitely my my achievement. Not having that much money in the bank, unfortunately, but hopefully that will change in time. Yeah, I'm part of the not much money in the bank crew as a new business owner, but we'll get there. <laughs> How about you, Phil? Yeah, so the the quote is going to be a little bit cliche on it, but I remember someone asked me like, what what do you define to be like financial well being or like to be financially healthy? And they gave, they didn't give an absolute number. It wasn't like, I need a million pounds. I need 10,000 pounds. They gave what I think is one of the nicest answers, which is I have enough money to not feel the need to check my bank account every day. And I feel yeah. like that is the definition of financial security. It's like, I'm comfortable enough that I don't need to check every day. And I think that should be the kind of everyone's goal because it, it aligns to your own personal needs and circumstances. Awesome. Um, what one piece of money advice would you have given to yourself 10 years ago? Vivan? Yeah, I would have... I wish I started saving early, in, especially into a pension, actually, because I was leaving free money on the table. And I wish I took, uh, I, I took uh, advantage of the ISA allowances as well. So that's something I, I, I lost 10 years of compounding, hypothetically, in, in this mm. scenario. So, yeah, that's something I wish I told myself 10 years ago. And you, Phil? 
uh, I would say um, that the interesting thing about investing is most people think it's risky, um, but sometimes it's more risky to not invest. And that's because of inflation and the fact that the cost of living goes up. And so the, yeah, the one thing that I would say is um, just the concept of keeping your money just in cash and not investing it can sometimes be riskier than you realize. Because the price of bread, for example, in 1970 or what it was, was half of what it is today. So yeah. if your money's not working for you, you are, you are falling behind. So yeah, the, the statement is not investing can sometimes be riskier than you think it is. Absolutely agreed. Um, for anyone who loves an online calculator, just uh, pop in, um, go to the Bank of England uh, inflation calculator and pop in amounts from the 90s. Stuff in the 90s cost half of what it costs now. That's yeah. just 30 years ago. Um, if you were to win the lottery for fun, let's say you were to win 10 million, how would you allocate that money? Um, interesting. Well, one is with this Phil and me uh, discussing some time ago, we need to build a, a potentially a, an educational school for personal finance. So there'll definitely funds going into there so that uh, when we were eight, we wish or eight years old, we wish we had something like that. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely invest the majority part of it um, and let compounding do its magic. Love it. Phil? Yeah, having been, in, having been a, a fund trader myself in my time, I'd probably put a good amount of that into a... Uh, an index diversified fund like a, a, an S&P 500 and use that as my sort of, I guess, passive income as people sort of call it, uh, growing on the side. And then my, my I guess, my my, daddy, my guilty pleasure, sorry, or passion is, is startups. I would probably uh, try and find all those sort of companies that I find doing interesting things specifically, specifically in the fintech space that are trying to solve problems like this um, and, and invest it in those. So I've got my sort of lower risk, like keeping myself going, diversified fund, and then I have my sort of pleasurable stuff that I enjoy, which is investing in other startups and whatnot. That's probably what I okay. would So a bit of stock market investing, a bit of angel. Love it. Um, what are your long-term money goals, Vivan? Um, well, over, gonna... the next, over the next 10 years. Um, well, the could will probably copy Phil and not look at my bank account, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I think just, just to be comfortable where... Um, like, like Phil, I have a passion for startups, clearly. It's, we, we took the plunge to start this together. Um, so yeah, where I could either help other entrepreneurs solve problems such as this, or, or I'd be in a comfortable place where I can not just give capital, but also strategic advice as well. So be comfortable to do that. And that's potentially, I said, my guilty pleasure. And yeah, not having to worry about where the next meal or check is coming from. Yeah, just sleep well at night. Not, 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 no Ferraris and all for me yet, but yeah. <laughs> Cool. And, and you, Phil? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting question because it's it can be sometimes an ever moving post. Uh, you know, the more the more money you make or the, the better things go, you always like psychologically have higher and higher aspirations. So I think it's kind of just getting comfortable with the fact that you know you, you I'm sure most people look back on their lives and realize that ten years ago they weren't earning the money that they are now, kind of thing. And they're like, well, why do I still feel the need to need more and more? It's just getting to that comfortable place of realizing that you know I am okay and I'm, I am I don't need any more than this obviously like i'm trying to increase maybe buy a car buy a house buy all those nice things but just to get comfortable with where you are i think is most generally yeah. yeah definitely that really resonates with me um at the start of ray dalio's book principles he talks about how having more money won't make a lot of the things that are in your life any better like the relationships you have with your family good food fun times like 
it will definitely help with the lower rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you can buy yeah. a nicer house, a nicer car and stuff. But once it gets into like the relationships and the less difficult to measure stuff, you probably already have everything you need. So I really, really like your answers. Um, and finally, what does success mean to you, uh, Vivan and then Phil? Um, well, I think we don't, it's a very, very abstract question, I guess, but yeah, I, 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 <laughs> really doing some soul searching here, but, um, but yeah, from a personal point of view, um, I'd love for Raindrop to become a success for a brand for people to, to feel proud about. I think the problem we're solving, especially when it comes to pensions, because ourselves, we were disengaged with it. We want people to feel comfortable and proud about where they've invested their money, not with us, but other people as well, and their retirement. So if, if Raindrop can help that journey where other people are confident in their personal finance, then yeah, that from the business side, that would be success, that would be success defined for us. Uh, personally, yeah, to be getting to that point of comfortable where I'm, I'm happy and I'm doing the things I love, whether it's so having the mental freedom to do the things I love on a daily basis rather than the having more money to buy things. So, so yeah. Awesome. And you, Phil? Yeah, to, to resonate with, with the van statement, I think to a certain extent, we've, we've already hit it sometimes, that sort of success metric in, in effectively uh, the impact of, of helping customers. We have, we've had emails, lovely emails from customers on Intercom and what, and through email and on Intercom saying, we were the nudge that they needed to get started and that they're really like they're, they're thankful that we we existed and gave them the push they needed um so that's my definition of success that's what gets you up in the morning is those kind of emails and messages from customers to know that you've actually done something that has helped help them do what they need to do like there's a demand there's a need and this solves it and so that i think is success and hopefully as long as we can keep doing that we'll keep being successful in that sense i guess that's awesome and yeah just yeah one of those emails, lovely emails, is from me. Um, I was very, very pleasantly surprised with the Pension Finder tool. Um, and for the people who didn't see the post, if you go to bit.ly forward slash raindrop pension finder, I'll take you through to the tool. It's free to use. You don't have to start a pension with raindrop um, to use it, although I'm sure Phil and Vivar would be very delighted if you did. And um, if you have lost pensions equivalently uh, um, uh, basically like having bank accounts with money in that you don't know where they are then they will help you find them i mean it's a win-win for, for everyone so it's a very very easy service to recommend um before we close out the conversation um any anyone you guys want to shout out anything you guys want to plug um, no, I just shout out to everyone who joined actually, and I hope uh, I hope we helped you all get some more light and information on on your 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 financial journey through your life. I think there needs to be more of these, and thanks a lot to me for inviting us. Um, like I said, I'm really I'm really impressed by the, the work you've done, not just when it comes to pension investments, but when it comes to mortgages, buying a house. I think these there needs to be more information and more events like these where people can come and find a safe space to ask questions and, and discuss because that's the only way once the conversation starts then you can start getting the confidence and the tools to to achieve all those goals that you had for yourself yeah thank you bill yeah i, I, I would uh, agree i'd say um yeah thank you again firstly to you timmy and thank you again to everyone that's sort of uh, that's sort of saying or speaking so highly of us and and what we're doing here uh, it's that word of mouth which is really important that sort of 
recommendation factory so that we can get in front of as many people and help as many people as possible. So thank you to all those. And also, I guess, to, to the rest of our team internally as well, who are, um, you know, it's it, it's one of those interesting things where starting a business like this, you know, can sometimes be stressful. But, um, it's great to see that everyone is uh, is aligned within our, our team to go and solve the problem. That's really, really nice to see. But, yeah. That's awesome. If people did want to take out a pension with Raindrop, where, where can they find you? Um, they can come to our website, myraindrop.co.uk, and there's a sign-up button there, and, and feel free to, to sign up. You can chat with us. There are contact details on the website as well, and there's an intercom bot on the website. So, And I can guarantee you we, we one of us will respond within 10 minutes <laughs> uh, so far until we get flooded. But, uh, but yeah, we've, uh, we've, we're very good at because, as I said, customer service in, the, in this industry has unfortunately not been ex- great or excellent. And where we that's one of our key values is to make sure that there's a human on the other side all the time. Thank you. Thank you to you guys for coming on the show today and having a really great conversation. Really, I like chatting about pensions and really like spending time with you guys. I could have spoken about this for another our thank you to um oh yeah and thank you to you both for having um the first uh insta live room with uh mr money for the mr money jar show this has been really exciting and a format i look forward to continuing thank you to everyone at home for uh tuning in and listening and for your questions um amid the heat wave we've had this week although looking out the window today has been less of a heat wave but more of a wave goodbye to the heat that we were yeah. promised <laughs> Um, back, back to the famous British weather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll be back at the usual time next week for another Instagram Live with another awesome guest. Take care until then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.